Welcome to episode 28, where I'm lucky enough to have the one and only Lawrence Yap back on the show for a second time. I was nervous enough the first time I had him on the show that I forgot to start where I start with everyone, the spark that got them into cars. So with that said, I got a chance to hear how Lawrence found his love for automotive and what inspired him to start writing. Lawrence's love for cars leads us into such an interesting perspective on the automotive print and magazine industry. And listening to it makes me want to pour over all my old car magazines and most definitely get my subscription to Triple Zero. After our chat about print, we get into the depths of the first and most loved cars, tinkering or not tinkering with cars, daily drivers, and cool cars while we were in high school. Without giving away too much else, do stay tuned to the rest of the episode where we discuss the McLaren 720S, the exciting cars Lawrence has driven daily and lately, which will make you gasp, and what FAF is up to this summer. As usual, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. <laughs> I completely agree. And we're always going to find something else to do with our time that's probably useless. Um, okay, so we're gonna, okay. <laughs> without being the downer, on yeah. it, um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna start off here because we'll yeah. return to that subject. Matter, yes, um, when we get back into the show. So, um, welcome back to the Bucket Seat Podcast. I'm your host Trevor Byrne, and tonight uh, I have the pleasure of hosting Mr. Lawrence Yap here back in my home for another episode together. Thank you for coming back, Lawrence. Hi, Trevor. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So. Uh, I do have to admit that the last time you're here, I completely deviated from my typical plan, my typical script, uh, and I want to get back into it this time. So we're going to dive right back into something that I find fascinating for everyone, um, for, sorry, specifically for myself, um, but for everyone who's listening, they seem to really enjoy it, is going way back to kind of the beginning and understanding what it is that got you into cars because we have all of these people on the show and they have all they've done all of these interesting things or they've accomplished all of these things in their life and it's always been wrapped around automotive or automotive to a certain extent mm-hmm. and there was a you know there was a, a spark at one point yeah. um, to use a cheesy internal combustion joke but um, and for you um, I mean what was it what inspired you and what what got you hooked into into cars there are probably three things that I could, you know, link my passion for cars to. One was my dad, who is mm-hmm. still, you know, I mean, he's he's over 70 now, and he's less passionate about cars than he used to be. But he was car crazy when I was, when I was young. And, you mm-hmm. know, the only way that I would settle down when I was very young was to go for a ride in the car. And then I would settle down. And then the moment that my parents would take me out of the car, I would start crying again. So <laughs> a lot of my formative moments were made were in a car and you know growing up um you know my dad was always talking about you know what he thought were the cool cars that he couldn't afford or uh you know i mean there were car magazines kicking around the house all the time and that was actually the other i think the other major impetus is i mean i'm still a car magazine addict but Back then, you know, one of the things that my dad and I used to do is I would find pictures of the cars that I liked, and then my dad would help me trace them oh, cool. uh, on, you know, pieces of paper, and then I would color them in, and that was kind of my very, very early kind of creative 
uh, outlet. And uh, so car magazines really throughout my life have been such a thing because back then it was kind of the visual like, oh, I think that's a cool car. And then when I started to read, um, you know, I actually find, you know, uh, the good writing about cars quite inspirational. Mm -hmm. And in the 80, late 80s and then into the 90s and late 90s and sort of early 2000s for me were, were really when I, I felt like there were so many good writers that I was reading. I started reading British car magazines, you know, in the late 90s. This was around the same time I started writing. Um, you know, it was just like these epic drive stories and, um, you know, uh, the beautiful photography, all of the stuff that I've been trying to emulate, you know, all of this time. Um, so, you know, magazines continue to be such a huge source of inspiration for me. Um, and I think that's a, you know, that's probably a, a really interesting podcast in and of itself and how that uh, industry is evolving. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. There really is an entire episode about yeah. how that has progressed or regressed or started to disappear or reappear mm-hmm. in different ways. It's interesting. I, I had um, my friend Pete Stout, who... Uh, has had three jobs, uh, four jobs now in his life. He worked at Costco. He was editor of Excellence magazine. He was editor of Porsche Panorama, uh, the big uh, Porsche Club magazine for mm-hmm. many years. And he just and he recently just started a new magazine called Triple Zero with a business partner. Uh, and that's a very interesting model, right? Because it's four times a year. It's two hundred and fifty dollars for a subscription. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're almost it's, coffee table books. Yeah, it's each like one of them, aren't they? exactly. It's nothing like any car magazine you you will you've ever seen. But it's a very very interesting take on on that industry, and I think that I feel like there is actually a market for something like that now. So and, anyway, and yeah. I'm hoping that he's successful with it. How many? Yeah. Do you know how many? Um, how, how long he's been doing it for? How many years? They're only they're only uh, they just put out their second issue, so it okay. is a brand new product um, and. Uh, you know, I think that there's a number that they that when they get to that, which isn't a very big number, the business is viable and it's making money and they can afford to pay all of their contributors really well. Right. They don't really take advertising. They have people beating down their door to advertise with them that they'll actually turn away because they'll say like, no, we don't think that your product it's is a fit, right for, fit. Our, yeah. for our product, uh, for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. No, I, you know, I don't like the image you've chosen for your ad. So it's a very interesting model. But I think there's room at the top of the market in terms of dollar amount, and there's probably room at the bottom, but I think the middle's getting squeezed out. Yes, and that makes total sense. The mainstream car magazines of the world, um, you know, I mean, I I, I, I used to love Car Driver, and I can remember when Car Driver was 200 pages, and now, you know, it's it's great, but it's mm-hmm. a lot thinner than it used to be. And yeah. WeatherTech is basically propping the oh magazine yeah. up, and every other <laughs> it's a, it's a third of yeah. every mag- and every magazine, and, yeah. and you know you know God bless uh, David McNeil for essentially keeping American automotive publishing alive because he's so passionate about it um, and floor mats. But, uh, <laughs> really good for, for Oh yeah. I, 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 I've got them in my car. I have, right? them, in my, I have them in my car too. <laughs> so, I wouldn't go any other way, but, uh, this is not an endorsement for weather tech, but you can pay me, but it, it, but it is, it is a very interesting, um, you know, scene right now. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and seeing how cars, because for me, really influential print for me was, 
you know, Honda tuner, import tuner, import tuner. Um, what else was in the, in that mix now? It's super street, super street. Yeah. Super max street. power. Uh, yeah, there's max power. I don't, I can't remember what there was one other, oh, there was turbo magazine. Yeah. Um, you know, those were the ones that I always just wanted to super street was the yeah. big one that I just had to flip through. And I used to see all these incredible cars out in California yeah. that were super clean, you know, EG hatchbacks and into that early generation of, uh, or, and the EFs before that. So Honda for me, was just the, yeah. you know, the pinnacle and seeing them in the state that you could have them in California is yeah. just always such an appealing thing. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I really liked the aesthetic that they had that has clearly gone away. There is no more, I don't think the import tuner exists anymore. Um, and Honda no. Tuner certainly doesn't. Yeah. Um, but um, anyways, we could do it. We don't want to turn this into our magazine yeah. episode, but we will come back to Road that. and Track Exotic Cars Quarterly is what was my thing ah. in the late 80s and early 90s. That was, I've got... Does that multiple. exist anymore? No, no. Okay. They used to be, they used to put it out every every three months or something. Right. I think yeah. they did 15 or 16 of them. Hmm. Uh, and just the photography and the writing and everything. I mean, I still have a lot. Of, well, they're all at my parents' place, actually. Um, but that was really, that was the, really the one magazine where it's like every page was, oh, I want one of those. Oh, I want one of those. Oh, I didn't even know that existed. Right. Um, and so was it, I mean, cause this kind of like leads us, leads us into the next question, but was it very much about supercars and exotic cars or what supercars were at the time to exotic cars, uh, that, it, that inspired you enough to want to stay into it? Um, was it just the extreme nature of those vehicles that was so appealing to you? No, I think I think that what what happened with those vehicles is that you know more attention got lavished on them, and so the stories and the pictures and everything was just you know at a level that Road and Track would not you know use for the new Honda Civic, right? Okay, um, but you know there every a lot of the the formative moments you know kind of in my uh where from where my passion developed uh, some of them involved high-end cars and some of them didn't you know the other the third thing i was going to mention was there are probably two pivotal you know seeing a car moments that really uh that really made a difference for me and they were actually they both happened very close to each other um one was in uh 1990 uh, was when I, f- I saw my first Mazda Miata, and we were on a family vacation to uh, visit friends in uh, New Jersey. Okay. And there was just this cute girl driving a blue Miata that passed <laughs> us, and I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Um, and then You're not was... helping the stereotype. Well, no. And, 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 and hey, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've owned a couple of them, so yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of that car. Yeah, me too. Um, and I'm also a huge Porsche 911 fan, and there was a moment when we were on a family trip up to Lake Skugog, uh, which I didn't realize was sort of in the vicinity of Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, mm-hmm. formerly, you know, formerly Motorsport. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, you know, in 1990, and uh, that was when I first saw a, a 964 uh, take off from, you know, in front of us at a stop sign, and just the noise that it made, and that wing that came up, but uh, yeah. you know, as it hit 55 miles an hour, like, oh, I gotta have one of those. Right? So, <laughs> Um, so those two moments right. like really still stick in my head, right? And and I think it's sort of this representation of of people sort of enjoying themselves and going fast and 
you know, the freedom sort of associated with that really stuck with me. Right. right. And I, I think everybody has those moments. It's funny because the way you say it too, it just, it, it really amplifies the, the idea that I've always kept that is those vehicles are something that is usually uncommon and there's something that attracts our eye to those mm-hmm. when we see them or when we hear them mm-hmm. when you're talking about those the are both happy looking cars too which yeah. i think you know the, the 964 that, that the first time i was i'd ever that i can recall seeing a porsche was um was a 964 in this tiny little farm town i grew yeah. up in you know six thousand people i think i was in my first year of high school I was walking down the main drag which is literally the only main drag right. it was the main street um in in town and it was clearly just going through town. This was not somebody who lived there. And when I heard it go by, I couldn't, I wasn't really into cars yet at that point. Not really into them. I knew the basics, but I'd certainly never seen that before. And as it went by, um, I was trying to figure out why it was making so much engine noise at the back like of the car. gnashing, you know, right? Oh God, it's it like, sounded, and I, I recall to this day thinking it sounded awful. There's something about it. I think, what what was that? Until he got on it, yeah. and the second he got on it, as he was going out of town, yeah. I, I can. It just is such a such a vivid memory in my mind yeah. that that has stuck forever. And for me, a nine six four is was on my you know one yeah. of the top items on my must have yeah. list. So yeah. I can completely relate to that. So um, moving into something that may may be reflective of this or not, yeah. what was the first car that you ever owned? First car, nineteen ninety Miata. Nice. Wow, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, no power steering, uh, no uh, radio, like bass, bass, bass. And not much has changed in, in that taste from what I No, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still kind of a no options kind of guy. Yeah. Um, you know, bought off of a, uh, off of a family member, uh, drove all year, and was just a great car. Never rusted, strangely enough. Uh, Wait, did you do any? Did you do rubber? No, no, I cleaned it a lot. Rubber, just, yeah, just I cleaned, cleaned it a yeah. lot. I was washing it all the time. Yeah. Second car was a 1999, uh, and third car was a 92 Accord. Uh, that basically, uh, no sedan. Okay. Uh, ex of my dad. Right. Okay. Um, blue on blue, manual transmission, no options, no air conditioning, which meant. Uh, it was actually made in Japan oh. uh, and not in the U.S. All of the cars that were made in the U.S. had air conditioning. Hmm. So kind of an interesting, you know, kind of an interesting car. Uh, owner's manual had a line about shitting the five-speed. <laughs> <laughs> the proofreading really didn't yeah. come through on that. Yeah. And and that was uh, that was kind of the car for a long time because it was around that time that I got into that I got into reviewing cars and so. Uh, I was sort of in and out of uh, a different press car every week, so mm-hmm. um, it sat for a while. Ended up uh, ended up selling it, and then you know, basically there was a twelve uh, year hiatus where, well, twelve year hiatus where I was driving press cars. Then there was six years where I was driving free Porsches. <laughs> <laughs> what an awful scenario! Yeah. And then uh, during the six years I was driving free Porsches, I I bought a nine nine three. Uh, towards the end of my time while I was working at head office. And then when I left Porsche, I, you know, made the exceptionally wise decision to buy an old E55 as a daily driver. Yes. Had that for about a year and a half. Uh, and then uh, I, at the time I was working at FAF, and there's a great, you know, employee program. And so 
sold that and got into a two series BMW on a one year lease. And now I'm on my second two series BMW. Awesome. I really, really like them. <laughs> Those E55s are like freight trains, aren't they? They, you know, that car was, you know, I, I used to, when I was working at RM auctions, I would, on Monday morning, I would leave Toronto at about 5.30 in the morning and have like a three hour commute. Wow. Uh, and I would be at my desk at, you know, 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And it was just the perfect car for that because you'd get in and, just, you know, you'd roar down the freeway at 120, 130, and it was so comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, the, the sound it made was amazing. And they're so cheap, right? Like, they're so Funny. cheap to buy. I mean, you really don't see them around very yeah, much. Because they rust. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so we talked about this before, but I'm mm-hmm. curious as to your answer, because I, I like it, is yeah. the... What was the first car you ever started tinkering with, and what was it? I have never tinkered with any of my cars. I have zero mechanical aptitude. Um, you know, I think it's actually possible to be a car enthusiast without being able to wrench on cars. I've, you know, I, I, I have no mechanical aptitude with cars or anything else. Uh, so all of the, my cars have essentially been unmodified. Um, my... 993 over the Christmas holidays just the suspension hadn't been touched and it was feeling kind of old and mm-hmm. a little floppy so uh, I replaced the uh, replaced the suspension with coilover Bilstein's and so now it sits a little lower and it drives a lot better but that's awesome. essentially the only tinkering I've done with that car and no I didn't kidding. do any of the tinkering yeah. the guys at the shop did the tinkering so. I love it yeah. uh, well and I mean I think that that's it's so nice to hear because I think that so often we get caught up in the idea that somebody who's into cars is someone yeah. who has to tune, modify, and change everything that they get. Mm-hmm. And I love certain aspects of that. Yeah. But having had a car that I've done very few modifications on, the first car that I've owned that I've done very few modifications mm-hmm. on, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've had the car for five years yeah. and I'm still super happy with it. And it has a, an axle back exhaust. And other than that, better brake pads, some fluid short shifter that was mm. super simple to you know to to do myself and some sticky rubber yeah well and you know having worked at an oem i sort of developed that snobbery of oh yes you mr shade tree mechanic with your <laughs> you know with your ideas about how a suspension should work you know do you really think you know better than gunther and his, and his hundred colleagues years. and his <laughs> yeah. billion dollar you know uh development budget mm-hmm. oh yes i'm sure you do yeah 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 <laughs> No, I, I hear that. And then I also hear the other side of the of the argument when it comes to uh, those who are developing, for for example, suspension components, if they, <clears throat> excuse me, if they are of the caliber that some of them, I believe, are, um, I don't think that they have the same resources. Well, I know they don't have the same resources as an OEM, but sometimes I think they do a great job of reverse engineering what was originally built. Hmm. Um, and when they reverse engineer that, they look for some of the weaknesses that yeah. may have been as a result of cost cutting, cost cutting and budgeting. And budgeting. And, and, you know, when you're especially on more mainstream cars, you are setting that car up to suit a relatively wide audience and a lot of different use cases. Exactly. So yep. there are certainly times when, you know, a vehicle's owner has a specific use case that's outside of that envelope that modifying the car will actually, you know, make an improvement. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't feel like it happens often. I feel like 
people often think that their use cases are that far out, but you know, you really don't need ten thousand dollars worth of suspension components to go to cars and coffee. You know? <laughs> yeah. I yes, that's that's so very true. But the aftermarket thrives. I mean Absolutely. I saw a number the other day, and now I'm probably going to quote this improperly but i believe the number was 6.5 billion dollars in north america in the automotive aftermarket i believe it and you go to sema and you see everything that's available it's just that's that's staggering in terms of what is invested and in all the different categories i've still never been to sema i I need oh you have to go to sema i need to go and and what's the other the more that would be a good live sort of podcast (laughs) right yeah the walking around the um team they say the team the the great podcasters over at the smoking tire often do or or i can't remember if it's it's um chris haynes hayes who does the live shows sorry he does them for the hooniverse mm. uh the hooniverse live from the sema floor and i think he does at least one or two shows a day with everybody oh, who crazy. comes through yeah. um most interesting one that i've that he has done from there were the ring brothers um, and some of the crazy cars that they've built. Anyways, mm-hmm. and get into that for a million years. Uh, what's the other trade show? It isn't SEMA. It's the one that seems to be a little bit more respected than SEMA, and it's a it's still an aftermarket show. Essen, in uh, Germany, is huge. Essen. This one, this one is also down in the U.S. And I think it starts the P. It's like oh, a, PRN. Oh, PRM. Yeah, yeah PRN. PRN. Yeah. Uh, I'd also like to check both of those out, but PRN. someday. The, PRI. Sorry, PRI. Oh, PRI. Yeah. PRI. Okay. Um. What was the cool car that everyone had while you were in high school? Oh, um, Jeeps, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially so attractive y- young y- women y- driving Jeeps. Yes, uh-huh. was kind of that. That sticks in my mind. Mm-hmm. The other thing that sticks in my mind was I never knew him. We never had any of the same classes. But there was a guy with a Ford Escort GT that had powered by Honda stickers all over. Oh my god! <laughs> and I thought that was actually really cool because I, yeah. I'm not sure if he was trying to be ironic right. or if you know uh, there was some you know if he actually strange story behind, behind it. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I we had I had some high school teachers that had some interesting cars. My high school chemistry teacher had a Honda Accord wagon stick. Oh, cool. White on burgundy, which of I thought course. was really, really cool. Of course. There yeah. were actually two of my high school teachers had Honda Accord wagons, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and then my um, calculus teacher had a 87 Corvette that uh, he told us the story of having, you know, it having been T-boned as he left the Chevy dealership. No way. Um, but yeah, he had this '87 Corvette that he, you know, took great pride in. So the teachers at our, at my school had some pretty cool cars. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I had was it so a couple of friends. Well, I mean, these weren't all friends, but um, my, my to my best recollection, International Scout. Oh yeah, which is very cool. cool. Yeah. And we always knew that. And if you wiggled the rear hatch a certain way, mm-hmm. you could always, or the, the rear uh, gate, you could always get into it without a key. Yeah. And then you could start it without a key. Which oh, was very awesome. good. Yeah. Um, but that was long before it started to really rust out. Yeah. I think the thing is since just completely disintegrated. Yeah. Um, a Viper truck. That's cool. Um, I have a Vi- colleague uh, now that had a Viper truck. Man, and yeah. it was the guy who had it. He uh, he knew how to drive it, and yeah. not much rubber rubber yeah. ever really lasted. Yeah, 
And uh, yeah, and then there was like the typical cast of characters of yeah. you know SI civics and preludes. These were all farm kids whose parents I think had done well enough in the yeah. tobacco farming industry that they were able to afford to have these cool vehicles. But right. um, yeah, that was pretty much. And then a lowered, <laughs> a lowered Chevy S10 was what blew my mind because I wasn't into cars at the time. Oh, that's, yeah, that'd, that'd be kind of cool looking. Yeah, actually. he was like the pizza delivery guy. I mean, yeah. I've said it so many times in this podcast. I hope that someday he listens to it. I think yeah. it was Anthony Jurassic. Yeah. And uh, he had a huge stereo system and he had, you know, big Krager five-spoke wheels yeah. and the truck was lowered right down. Yeah. And I'd never seen anything like that in my life before. Yeah. And I'm not at all into trucks and not really so much now and never really have been, but... That was, oddly enough, one of the inspirations for mm-hmm. me to get into cars. Um, when I saw that, I went, oh, that's cool. Well, you, yeah. you can do all these things to a regular truck. Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, so you talked about your daily. So you're in the two. Th- I'm in a uh, BMW M240. M240, M240. Yeah. Right, right, it's right. It's kind of the halfway Ma- house between the conv- the normal cars and the M cars. Right. <laughs> and when you fired it up the last time when you were yeah. about to leave, yeah. I couldn't believe how great it sounded. Yeah, too. it sounds pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, to me, a BMW, I mean, they do they, they do a very good four-cylinder engine, but mm-hmm. it's kind of got to have a straight six, although I mm-hmm. like the V8s and the 12s as well. Like, to me, BMW and <laughs> Who doesn't want the 8 or 12? Yeah. yeah, I just drove a um, 550, the M550i, and that car is... The best car they've done in the last ten years. I mean, no it's kidding. Really, really, really good. Wow, that's yeah. a. Um, it sort of had me doing the mental math and going like, okay, how much more would on you know, and oh, but I gotta get twenty inch winter tires and like, oh, uh, right, no, maybe not. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I live in the city and I don't need back seats, so it's, <laughs> you're still thinking about it though, right? So. Um, something that you had mentioned or I've, I've I have seen it paraded around a bit mm-hmm. on your Instagram feed mm-hmm. is the McLaren 720s yes and so now with that um, the first demo I believe is on route yeah we you know uh, we had a uh, silver kind of show and display car that mm-hmm. we've been using uh, over the last couple of weeks to to do a little sneak preview events kind of around the city with our customers um, we were kind of hoping that I'm kind of hoping I I was hoping I would have driven one by now, but uh, we have our first car en route, and I think the first customers are going to start taking delivery in the next month or two. Wow. Um, It's just, I mean, the first time I saw it, I was like, what? (laughs) Um, And it's got the most complex kind of aerodynamic, you know, sort of channeling through the body that I've ever seen. You know, the headlights, you know, they essentially solve the problem of how do we get more cooling in the front by basically opening up the whole front and then making the headlights float in these mm. openings, right? And you start to look at all of the duct work, you know, through the front of the car, what's going to the brakes, what's sort of going to the outside of the front wheels to create that kind of air curtain effect. And then there's air going up over the hood and then into these channels in the doors and there's radiators at the bottom and there's, you know, more arrow that it, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. I mean, it's kind of one of those cars where the more you look at it, the more that you see and it's, from a distance, it's a very simple-looking shape, and that's one of the cool things about it is that it's a mid-engine supercar without huge air intakes on the side. Mm-hmm. Well, they're kind of buried inside the body, and there's all of this channeling that's happening inside of the body to get air into it, which is pretty cool. I think it's a design that, that will last. I mean, when you look mm-hmm. back to the um, the McLaren F1, yeah, 
it still today yeah. looks incredible. Oh, yeah. If it weren't for the huge, you know, 50 profile tires on the back, yeah. it would look completely modern. Yeah. Yeah. And still, it still blows me away every time with the driver's seating position yeah. in the center, but yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, now, um, so I believe it's roughly around 2,900 pounds, somewhere in there. Yeah, it's just south of 3,000 pounds, and 720 metric horsepower, which means I think seven. Just under 710 brake horsepower. Okay. okay. So, uh, you know, four liter now, twin turbo eight. Wow. Seven speed transmission. They move the buttons for the transmission off of the tunnel up to kind of, you know, underneath the, the navigation screen and, you know, the cool. interior paddle quality only. stunning. Yeah, paddle shift only. Paddle shift only. Uh, the, you know, that's the, these days with, with yep. these kinds of cars, you're giving up so much performance when you're relying on the driver to do the shifting. I, I completely understand it, and I used to hate on it for so long. Mm-hmm. I've just gotten used to it now. I understand it. It's not like I was driving a lot of supercars, but yeah. I truly understand it. And the older the older I get, the more I kind of I long for a good DSG. Mm-hmm. I, I'm glad that Porsche has brought it back on the GT3. But, you know, if you look at the mm-hmm. numbers, the manual GT3 is a lot slower yes. than a PDK GT3. Did they ever make those 911R buyers angry with that choice well, on the GT3 you know, manual? Uh, <laughs> there's, a whole, there's a whole kind of discussion about, you know, whether the 911R market was maybe a little overheated anyway. Sure. But, um, we don't have to go into that. But, you know, I think the, there was a time when DSGs would give you that performance and would give you that refinement, but there were, you know, there would be the sense that, okay, it's working, but that's not the, that's not the way that I would do it if I was shifting gears myself. Mm-hmm. But now mm-hmm. with these cars, it's like the calibration on all of them is so good. It's like, well, yeah, it's about exactly what I would do. I would let off the clutch at exactly, you know, that progression, mm-hmm. and I would change gear at exactly that time. And, you know, you're at the point now where the fastest way around the track is to put it in Sport Plus or to put it in track or whatever mm-hmm. and leave it in drive and not even do the shift. Not even do it yourself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like we talked about before, do you trust the team of, you know, yeah. PhD, uh, multi-PhD engineers that have done so many, so many different tests around the world on every different possible surface and every possible different condition and air density and, you know, wet and dry and sand and everything... Mm-hmm. I, I trust that they're getting to it now. Ironically, you know, I love driving manual transmissions. Both of my cars are manual yeah, transmissions. Yeah, me too. If I, I was buying a car to use purely on the track, I would buy the paddle shift. But mm-hmm. if I, but I'm more of a streetcar guy, so I still want the manual transmission. And I get it. Um, price on it, three hundred grand. Seven twenty S starts at about three twenty. Okay. The average car goes out the door closer to four hundred, which is about right. Like mm-hmm. if you see uh, Porsche's data or Audi's data or any any of the premium manufacturers' data, typically you'll have a twenty five percent MSRP option load. Sure. So yeah, there's a lot that you can do with there. It from, certainly is. Yeah. yeah every yeah. colored stitch and yeah. you know a colored key fob to whatever you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, when you say customers, and you don't have to answer this because I know obviously there's a lot behind it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it fa- it's fascinating to me to know that there are vehicles pre-sold because mm-hmm. you know before anyone. Mo- I mean, this one. is a car that is essentially pre-sold into a year and a half from now. 
That's incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. People with money at that level have money. Right. Um, it's, you know, whether they purchase that car or not is not contingent on if they got their bonus this year, right? <laughs> uh, that you see those big swings uh, in, in the sports car market mm-hmm. in, you know, the Boxster Cayman, Audi TT uh, kind of class of car. Those cars, you, their sales numbers, you can almost track uh, and graph alongside how the economy is doing. Interesting. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, closest competitors. Um, you know, the, the to the 720S, yeah. uh, you're probably looking at things like the 488 uh, mm-hmm. GTB. Um, although, you know, it's there's kind of this ongoing battle of one-upmanship between McLaren and Ferrari. McLaren's winning right now. Uh, Huracan, I guess, would sort of be in the competitor set. Um, but, you know, in terms of its construction, it's kind of, I would say, almost like half a class down, mm-hmm. you know, sort of... If you ha- if you're looking at the McLaren's model line, you would have the 570s, you know, as sort of the entry level, and you'd have 720 above it, and sort of in between those cars, you'd have things like the Huracan, uh, the Audi R8, mm-hmm. you know, 911 Turbo is probably closer to where the 570s starts, right? Right. So, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. The Ferrari is probably the closest competitor in terms of price and and technology and everything else. Interesting. Yeah. Um, how does the Ford GT fit into that? Oh, the Ford GT. I mean, I, I think the Ford GT is unbelievably cool. Me too. Yeah. Uh, it is from, I don't know what the Canadian MSRP is, but looking at the math from, you know, the US and from the UK publications that I read, it is significantly more expensive. Uh, it is not as quick zero to 100. Oh, really? Uh, no. Uh, you know, it's got a V6 instead of a V8, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for very specific reasons of packaging and aerodynamics. Um, you know, I think the level of technology is quite equivalent, and it's also got a carbon tub and carbon construction. But my take on it, not having driven one, but having sat in one and read a lot about it, is that it is much more of a, it is much more of a race car that you would drive on the street. Whereas the 720 really is, you know, it has all of that performance and it has all of that raciness, but it's got a really comfortable interior and it has an awesome Bowers and Wilkins sound system and it's got, <laughs> you know, the glass roof panels and all of that stuff that's not in the Ford. Right. Um, and it looks like, I mean, I I just did a really quick search, so don't hold me to this. Anyone online, CBC article yeah. from March of this year stating potentially a $600,000 price tag. It sounds about right. I, I think yeah. it's about a $100,000 premium over a 720 in the U.S. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, 100. much rarer car. It's just different, right? Yeah, it, very, yeah, yeah. very different. Um, I saw in Jalopnik today, I don't know if you saw it too, yeah. that McLaren, and I believe it was McLaren Corporate, mm-hmm. built a one-to-one scale Lego, Lego model yeah. of the 720S that they are bringing to Goodwood. to Goodwood this week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I know both you and I are very much into, I love the Lego world and I can't yeah. wait to get my son really into it. I, I would love to work ever. for Lego, you know, and do licensing <laughs> deals with car companies. Right? Oh man, that'd be so cool. And you know, Porsche does a fantastic job. I bought the GT3 RS like the moment that I heard about it. I was like, <laughs> online, like where do I find this thing? Um, and does it, now you've obviously assembled it. Yes. Yeah. Um, what kind of time investment? Are you oh my at? God. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, three months, you know, sort of off and on. Oh my god, I yeah. had no clue. I thought that I was like, well, you know, I mean, you get it. It's it's Lego. It's twenty seven hundred pieces. Oh man! And you know, when I was when I was briefly unemployed, I bought the smart thing to do when you're unemployed. I bought the Lego Unimog. Oh, which is cool. like 1,800 pieces. Yeah. And that took me three days straight, essentially. <laughs> like, I'm not that capable with it, but I, I, I was it. assembling it on my coffee table, and I, like, I could not get up. I was that, uh, but I think what Lego's doing is, is pretty unbelievable. You know, they, they've got licensing deals now with so many of the car manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're helping to fuel, you know, going back to where does your passion start? Like, that's really important. You know, having kids that are playing with toy cars and mm-hmm. video games are super, super important. I can oh remember, God, yeah. you know, doing the 24-hour race in Gran Turismo with my brother when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, I think it's really cool that Lego's doing that and that yeah. they have deals with so many manufacturers, right? I mean, there's it's, a mini, it's, there's a It's the equivalent Ferrari. of the, you know, the tangible version of the poster on the wall. That's the, absolutely. You know, of the... Yeah. Of the Diablo or the Countach yeah. or, uh, or did the, you have that justification for a higher education you know poster what? with all I, the cars? I never did. No, I never <laughs> did. But every time I see it, it just makes me laugh. Yeah. Um, it just it doesn't even look real to me anymore yeah, because exactly. of all the places that I've always seen it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, McLaren. Um Speaking of exciting cars, so. Um, I'd love to know kind of what it is. You've just got such an interesting job and what you do. And such a cool um, dichotomy of cars, and mm-hmm. you know, you go from um, affordable economy, and I'm, I'm not not mm-hmm. saying that supercars are unaffordable or unattainable. But well, to, yes, to they are to they most are, of us. You know? yeah. And um, and so you've got this really interesting spectrum that you're able to 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 look at, to play with, for mm-hmm. lack of better terms, and to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is um, is on your kind of top four or five list of what's been really interesting to drive lately? Really interesting stuff that I've driven lately. Uh, Well, I mean, just very briefly briefly on the McLaren topic, I found the 570 GT to be very different from the 570S, which I was not expecting. Okay. Uh, So on paper, I was going, okay, it's a little softer. It's got this glass roof. It doesn't have the ceramic brakes. I'm actually going to prefer this car. Well, it turns out like it does all of the stuff that it says, but I actually prefer the 570S to drive, so that was interesting. Uh, MX-5 RF. Oh, yes. Which I... is really, really cool, but being a no-options, you know, base model kind of guy, I would still go for the convertible, um, you know, that you can put down with one hand. Fair enough. And to me, what's remarkable about that car is that it is actually smaller than the first generation car. It is marginally shorter in length. No kidding. Uh, it's a little bit heavier, of course, oh. because it's got airbags and mm-hmm, it's got mm-hmm. better crash structures and stuff. Mm-hmm. But for Mazda to bring out a fourth generation car that is smaller than the first generation car is really, really bold. It is. I and mean, it's kudos, awesome. Kudos to them yeah. because I wasn't sure if you were going to think that that was a positive yeah. or a negative thing. But yeah, I mean, we both share the fact that I think that that's fantastic to be able to do that and i love that that car is actually still really softly sprung and that it you know it leans a fair bit in corners but you know you will never you always feel like you're going fast in that car because it's leaning and the tires Mm -hmm. are squealing and you're driving it at 10 tenths everywhere and it's it's just 
it's amazing. It's it, from really, what really, I understand, really the new so that the new generation, including the RF, I really mm-hmm. want to drive the RF, and I have to admit, I've never been a big MX-5 or Miata mm-hmm. fan yeah. in in the sense of its general aesthetic. Yeah. Um, I love what it is and what it has done for the racing community, yeah. enthusiasts, um, accessibility for racing, the whole spec series, everything that you can possibly wrap into mm-hmm. that world. I have so much respect for mm-hmm. the new RF, I think, is a very pretty car. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do like the way that it looks and I like the way that it sits on the, you know, uh, as I've seen it in person, yeah. never been able to drive it. I have heard that it does have a bit of a, you know, it does um, have a bit of a, a lean yeah, but that's classic for a Miata. They yeah. haven't lost that. Yeah, um, and I have heard that it's still it's fairly expensive just because of it what's is. gone into it. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I'm really impressed. I, I really want to drive one. Uh, a friend of mine works on the uh, Mazda business, and I'm hoping that one of the yeah. one of these days he'll offer up one for me to be able to get a drive in. But until then, you uh, can tell a car makes an impression when you're going to the configurator after, right? Uh, so. Wow. You know, not that I could afford one, but I went mm-hmm. to the configurator after driving the 570, went to the configurator after driving um, the MX-5, mm-hmm. went to the configurator after driving the M550i, which was very fast because there are basically no options, mm-hmm. um, and uh, JCW Mini, oh, which, you know, I think since we last, last talked, we picked up a second VMW dealership and a Mini dealership. Hmm. So now that's sort of on the list, and I'm like, ooh. And the old JCWs, I always loved, but they rode like they had no suspension at all. Well, now you can get like the little adaptive suspension button, and it actually rides really well. So it's no like, kidding. oh, that's back on the list. Right? Oh, so. Well, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I've yeah. never driven a Mini, ever. Yeah. Oh, they're fantastic. And yeah. I've heard that from so yeah. many people. <clears throat> a good friend of mine had a, had a John Cooper Works. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember what generation. It was not current, so maybe one or maybe even two generations older. Yeah. And it's one of the ones that I really liked the whole look of as well. Yeah. And uh, and good friend Alan Oak. I don't know if you know. Him. Oh yeah, I know. Alan Oak yeah. always had. He didn't. Yeah. I don't think he had the John Cooper Works, um, yeah. but he did have the S. Yeah, which is still terrific. Yeah. And you know, he had two he had two car seats in the back, mm-hmm. uh, two Ford facing seats in the back. Yeah. Drove his kids everywhere in it, um, and he loved that car. Yeah. I really need to get some time into one. Um, and now with that, so you, so th- that was obviously current, current gen, yes. right? So 2017. Yeah. You know, well, I'm going to add one other thing, one other car to that, which was completely not on my radar. Mm-hmm. And it's not even current generation anymore is we did a, we had a group of McLaren customers that uh, drove from Toronto to Montreal for the Grand Prix. Kind of a back roads tour, and I drove. I got to spend a little bit of time with McLarens, but I drove the support vehicle, okay, which was an Audi SQ5. So we had like a oh nice. We had a, yeah. a spare tire in the back in case anybody had a blowout, and we were carrying some people's luggage, and that was also the platform from which our photographer was, you know, doing car to car shots, <laughs> and that was it was a previous generation SQ5. Boy, that car was mm-hmm. really, really, really good, and. The Q5 I've, I've always liked. I think Audi really nailed the packaging and the look of it. But, you know, I'd never really been into driving them in this car. I mean, we we've, we even had it out on the track at iCar, chasing McLarens around, like, you know, for photography and stuff. And it was amazing. Wow. 
And I was really impressed. And so now I'm like, oh, I really should try out the new SQ5 because I, you know, I never really cared that much about it. But yeah, I mean, the current gen um, Q5 yeah. is really, I mean, it's handsome. Yeah. And I've always heard that the SQ was really, 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 good. really good. And I really, yeah. I mean, looking at the previous generation, yeah. the way that it's packaged from an appearance standpoint yeah. is awesome. Yeah. So well done. Yeah. Um, and I would be now to. To deviate from the conversation a bit, would you go Macan S over SQ five? Mm. Or are we just? Or is that too different of a of, in terms of? No, it, I mean in 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 basic terms, they're kind of the same car, right? Because mm-hmm. the Macan S starts out as well. The Macan platform starts out as a Q five, right? And mm-hmm. there's a lot of different bits and pieces that Porsche bolts-on that are very different to the Audi, and actually the feel of them is very different. Um, I prefer driving the Porsche because its all-wheel drive system is essentially the same setup as the 911 turbos, right? So it's like 95% rear drive unless you need the front wheels, and then it sort of engages them, whereas the SQ5 is more balanced. Like it's 40% front, 60% rear. So it's still rear-biased, but it's, it's a bit more of a balanced setup. So I... Surprisingly, the Macan actually does drive quite differently. But if you start to look at equipment, you know, to get a Macan S, which starts at, you know, high 50s to to the same equipment level as an SQ5 when you start taking option boxes because the SQ5 comes loaded, you know, you're looking at a fifteen twenty thousand $20,000 price premium. So wow. once you start factoring dollars into it, eh, I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't buy either of them because I don't need the space. So, Fair. That's... Yeah. Um, when we did our last show, you were kicking around the idea of potentially having some time in the roof 911 Turbo R. Yes. And did you get some time in that? Yeah, I got, I got a bit of time in that. It's, um, it's one of the cars in our, in our pre-owned inventory at our Porsche store. Uh, we actually just launched, uh, we've, since we last talked, we moved into a new building. And I've driven by it on the, the one on the yeah. on the four hundred. On the four hundred, yeah. Oh, it's such so a store. it's a it's a hundred thousand square feet, and we uh, now are a official Porsche Classic partner dealership, which means awesome. We have to send all of our you know our, we have a, a, some technicians that are dedicated to classic cars that do a lot of training. We have dedicated classic car salespeople. I'm sort of on this committee around classic cars, and this is a, something that we bought off of one of our customers. And it actually started life as a Carrera 4S uh, that then, you know, got sent over and turboed and, um, you know, had all the modifications done and came mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is like, it's just, you know, one of the formative videos of my life was the, you know, Stefan Roser driving the yellow bird at the Nürburgring in his, yeah. Yeah, in his white loafers with no socks. And, <laughs> and so, you know, but uh, the probably the most surprising thing about this car, which I think makes about 600 horsepower, is that it is really, really friendly and not, you know, intimidating to drive at all. Like, I mean, it's really fast and it feels like a, you know, it feels like an air-cooled Porsche, but it's stable and it's... And it's really quick and it's quiet. Uh, and yeah, it's just, you know, uh, it, it wasn't what I was expecting. It was much better than I was expecting in some ways and mm. much more comfortable than I was expecting. So Interesting. Yeah, um, you would you'd think, or you'd think it would be very raw, would be this, like, and, yeah. raw, visceral machine that's just going to, yeah. you know, tear you apart when you get into it. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting to hear that it's 
pretty well behaved. Yeah, and you know, we've got a, right now. We just did this. We just did a classic cars event on the weekend, and you know, I didn't get to drive any of these cars for for much distance, but we had to move a bunch of cars from storage into the showroom, and it's amazing how over, you know, the last fifty some odd years that they've been building nine elevens, like how different every generation feels like you know even during the kind of g-body era when they went from the 915 transmission to the g50 transmission like those cars feel completely different just because of the way the shifter feels Hmm. and then once you add power steering you know in the 964 that car feels completely different you know from from any of the earlier cars so it's kind of you know they all kind of feel the same because the seating position is 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 what it is and you know the closeness of the windshield and and everything you know so they're very familiar but they're all very very different like each generation of of 911 is so different and even within each of the generations the different years and the different engines you're like wow they're you know there's so many different personalities right mm-hmm. I, I I really wish that I'd had an opportunity to, oh, I mean, I, I would like to have an opportunity at some point to be able to go through the generations because I've only been in a handful of Porsches and, you know, I've actually, I've driven a Cayenne Turbo. That's a pretty impressive car. Which was extremely yeah. impressive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but aside from that, I have not, I've been in the passenger seat of many, but yeah. I've never driven one. So. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to talk about that at some yeah. point in time. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, as I as I now can tell from our stats, that after about forty-five minutes, a lot of people stop listening. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're we're just we're just over that now. But in terms of what you guys are up to at FAF, in terms of things that are coming up this summer, is there anything that we should be looking out for? Is there anything notable in terms of events or stores or um, you know? Because I know you've got the the store on the four hundred North. That mm-hmm. I think everybody should go and check out because even it's from pretty the highway, cool. Yeah, it's a spectacle. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, is there anything else on the on the on the list or on the roster for you coming up this summer? Well, we're now six weeks in at the new Porsche store, so uh, mm-hmm. the classic cars are going to be in the showroom for probably another. We, there are no new cars in the showroom right now, um, so we're going to leave that for for a week or two. Uh, you know, we're full on into race season, so we've got four Porsche Cup cars racing. Oh yeah, right. Uh, they're heading down to Watkins Glen. Um, this weekend do you go with them for that uh i try to uh i basically show up to about 75 percent of the weekends watkins glen sounds like a fun place it's actually really it's a beautiful drive down there too you go through the finger lakes region the roads Mm -hmm. are beautiful um we've got uh chris green who drove uh one of our um parses last year he's racing a mclaren now in the continental tire series and in Pirelli World Challenge, we have a Audi RS3 race car uh, as well. No so kidding. Or... Lots going oh, cool. on in the in kind of the racing world. Um, and then, yeah, we've just picked up uh, another BMW dealership town and country out in Markham, uh, along with uh, Mini Markham. So right now, one of the one of our tasks is to kind of integrate them and start getting them into doing track days and Very cool. racing and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So yeah, there's just a, there's a, there's a lot going on and. Um, you know, uh, we're constantly looking to expand and add some new brands and, 
you know, it's a small volume thing, but we're, we're actually now the official Canadian agent for the BAC Mono. Yes, um, oh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I saw a lot yeah. of what you were posting. What yeah, it's, uh, it's very, very cool. It's going to be one of those brands that we sell, you know, one or two of them a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's a car that weighs 1,300 pounds, I think, and has 300 horsepower. And right now it's not street legal, but I think... We all envision a future where it will be. It's street legal in a lot of other countries, uh, and it's exquisite. It's like, you know, the carbon fiber work is unbelievable. Uh, the people who founded BAC, one of them is a, you know, a chassis engineer that did the original Focus RS, uh, that did, you know, he's done a lot of very important cars, and they made their name as a company in doing carbon fiber work. So, BAC actually is the company that makes, you know, the single piece carbon fiber bucket seats that were in the 918 Spider, uh, and a lot of you know very high end componentry, so they kind of know their stuff in that space. Um, so that's really really cool. Wow. Uh, oh, sorry, I have to ask on yeah. that. I'm so interested. Yeah. The uh, what's the price tag on the BAC model? It's about 270 Canadian. Right. Yeah. And what's the power plant like? What, where does that engine? Come it is from? actually it actually starts life as a uh, Ford. Uh, it's a Ford four-cylinder, two-liter. It's built by Monotune. Uh, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So it starts out as Monotune, and then Cosworth does a bunch of stuff to it. But I, th- I believe the origin is actually the Focus ST engine, not the RS engine. Okay. Which yeah. is, I think, a 2.5. So mm-hmm. um, turbo uh, and just, you know, fettled like crazy, right? Uh, and it's got a sequential Hewland gearbox. Um it's got crazy Formula One style steering wheel. Yeah, it's I mean the photos that you've been posting are yeah. incredible. There's yeah. so much about that that I love. <laughs> yeah, we had two of them out at the, out at uh, CTMP uh, to you know let some prospects try try out, and yeah, I think it's it's just really really cool. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think everyone who's listening should probably. Um, follow Lawrence and and because we get a lot of this great information on a regular basis your Instagram feed I, I'm constantly you know turning my phone around and showing everybody look what he's up to now um, <laughs> so um, if you could uh, let everybody know where they can find you on uh, on Instagram and Facebook and then of course um, any of the shout outs for, for FAF um, such a great group and yeah. such an interesting collection of brands that um, that they keep that you keep so um, yeah let us know where we can find you yeah, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll plug work first because that's they're, they're kind of why I'm here. But uh, we're at fafauto.com, P-F-A-F-F. Uh, we're at, at fafauto on Instagram. All of our dealerships have a Facebook page. And we're starting up Instagram pages for the ones where we can get people engaged at the, at the stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, my Instagram is just my name, at Lawrence, L-A-U-R-A-N-C-E, Yap, Y-A-P. Um, yeah, if you want to see lots of pictures of coffee and pictures of my car. <laughs> coffee, so. gelato, yeah. um, your... Uh, sometimes watches. Yeah, sometimes watches, um, your 911, yeah. and uh, and often a lot of other really cool cars too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, this is amazing, and I, I really do hope that uh, I can have you back because the one thing we didn't get to that we will, um, and I'm going to save this for uh, for one of the next episodes with you, is our discussion on autonomous cars. And I think oh, that we yes. can probably talk about that and the magazine industry together and make an interesting episode as this comes up, hopefully, in the coming weeks. But I think it's just the changing face of driving. It is, yeah. absolutely. And I, knowing both of our passions behind it, you can imagine 
the the angle that we'll probably take but i've found that a lot of people really like it so stay tuned for that i'll, I'll try to let everybody know when we can excuse me expect for that episode to come up um and in the meantime lawrence thank you again so much for being on the show um this um i, I kind of stopped um going through the actual numbered sequence of each of these episodes because i'm yeah, finding like 25 or something shuffling right? them through and i mean yeah. i'm you know, I'm, I'm, if I don't count two part series, I'm probably in the 35 to 37 episode range, but technically this is, I think episode 28 or 29. Right. So, um, I'll let my intro speak for itself when I end up doing it for this, because I'm kind of juggling a few episodes in between now. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyways, uh, thank you to everyone for listening. You can find uh, The Bucket Seat on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, all at The Bucket Seat. You can listen to us on Stitcher in your car. You can find us on SoundCloud now, on YouTube uh, up, upcoming, um, the YouTube channel, and as well on, on Shout Engine. And so um, if you have any questions, post them up on the Instagram account. And if you want to email me directly, you can just go to thebucketseat.com. You'll find my email address there. It's trevor at thebucketseat.ca. Um, and stay tuned for our next episode. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this has been the Bucket Seat Podcast.